You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, all of our guests tonight join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and we've got so much to get into. We will get into the Browns and COVID and the impact it's going to have on the NFL over the course of the night. We'll do that in a few minutes. But, Sarah, we start tonight with the Heisman Trophy. And for anybody that's wondering, yes, we will cover the announcement of the Heisman winner and the acceptance speech for that individual right here live during the middle of the show. So we'll take it all the way up to the Heisman, all the way up to the award, and then we'll pick it right back up from there. But this is the biggest and, night and talk to for the individuals in college football. And talk to the winner. You buried the lead. Oh, yeah. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> we got first shot at the winner, too. Come on. This is perfect. Uh, it's going to be a stacked night, and obviously a lot of star power tonight as the Heisman has come down uh, to three quarterbacks and a wide receiver. You know, that's what this is. It's Trevor Lawrence of Clemson, uh, Mac Jones of Alabama, uh, and we've got uh, Devontae Adams. That, uh, sorry, Devontae Smith. I'm all over the place. The wide receiver uh, for Devontae Alabama. Adams should that many- get a Heisman, though, for his performance this year. It's been spectacular. I'm not a thousand percent out on that. You know, we just give it. The, you know, the number of times I've been on college football shows, and I've said to myself, "Do not say Devonte Adams." This is the first time I did it all year. Was right here, so uh, we we had a breakthrough, Sarah. But uh, this is a great night, and Devonte is the Vegas favorite, and it would be unusual. Let's remember, we haven't seen a wide receiver win the Heisman since Desmond Howard did it. Yeah, I mean. What happened was is that the game changed, and along with it, the focus for the Heisman did, but it focused almost entirely on the quarterback part of the college football game changing. used to be predominantly quarterbacks and running backs. Then it became about the passing game, and unfortunately, wide receivers haven't really seen the boon from that as much as the quarterback position has. But this year, I think, fits more than any other in recent years, not only because of Smith's production, which has been spectacular, top of the charts in almost every meaningful category, and the potential to set a bunch of SEC records if he continues his hot streak in the championship game, but also just because I think the voters are already primed to see this season differently because of COVID, right? Not just that several teams didn't play very many games and there was a smaller sample size, or that guys like Trevor Lawrence missed games uh, because of COVID, but also just understanding that the the scheduling was different and everything was different. So now you're looking at the vote and instead of seeing things the way you normally might, you're already sort of perhaps pulled out a little bit and, and, and reflecting upon things differently. And that allows you to maybe open up your mind to let me give this to someone that isn't a quarterback. Well, and there's this moment where, you know, I feel like sometimes we're just numb to greatness. We've talked about it so much Mm -hmm. with LeBron and the MVP award and Mahomes with the MVP award. I mean, I don't have a Heisman uh, vote. If I did, it'd be difficult not to give it to Trevor Lawrence in my mind because I think he's the best player in college football. But he did miss a couple of games to co- because of COVID. Now, he was on Cheney and Golick Jr. earlier today and talked about what that experience and playing through it taught him this year. The virus is one of those things where not everyone's experience is the same, so I don't want to paint with a broad brush or speak for everyone. But obviously, I had it. I had mild symptoms and... It's definitely, definitely weird and interesting and never really expected that I was going to have to miss you know, two of the biggest games of the year for it. So that obviously sucked, but just taught me how to lead, how to lead through adversity and how to not physically be there with my team, but try to just do everything I can to make an impact. And that's, I feel like I did a decent job of that and just trying to help DJ when he had to play and then coming back with a lot more enthusiasm and really had a greater appreciation for what we get to do every day when you have to miss you know, 10 to 14 days it's it's kind of rough just sitting at home while everybody else is practicing and getting ready Fitz I just want to say quickly DJ Uyunglele 
That's what he was talking about. Um, it's all it's all good points made by him. I do think it's going to hurt him in the race um, because if you need any little thing to allow you to move away from the guy that's almost certainly going first in the draft and came in with a full head of steam out of last year, uh, that missed couple games is probably enough. Uh, the only issue I would say with the favorite, which is Devontae Smith, is whether you're going to have some of your votes stolen by your own teammates, right? And, and that's that's a tough one. Well, and, and to that end, Greg McElroy said he thinks there's a better chance that the quarterbacks split numbers because they were all so similar, mm-hmm. and that gives Devontae sort of an opportunity. It's funny to me, too, because so often we've heard when it comes to freshmen, you know, true freshmen don't win the Heisman. Well, now if you look at Trevor Lawrence's trajectory, he loses out last year after a historic year by Joe Burrow, and I take nothing away from Joe Burrow. Incredibly warranted that he win the Heisman, and now we're saying COVID could keep him from winning the Heisman. So it, it's strange to think about the individual award and the great individual that Trevor Lawrence has been on the field, but to think that the two didn't align in a way that arguably one of the best quarterbacks of his time is not going to get the opportunity to win a Heisman if it plays out that way. It's it's sort of a strange byproduct to all of this. Yeah, I think, unfortunately for all the players this year, it was a strange season, and it's going to be hard to look at this uh, with the exact same integrity and meaning as a regular year. So many of the players that played for shortened seasons, the, the all-SEC schedule for these SEC guys, they don't play against the bunnies. The, the uncertainty every week of who's in and who's out and who's healthy – that all affects their numbers and it affects the impression that people have when they're voting. Um, and, and so I think it matters. Uh, you know, I think you can at least look and say what an incredible job all the people who are, are finalists did in a, in a really tough season. Um, one thing I will say is they're showing all these clips of the players doing interviews from their various, uh, you know, individual spots is uh, it doesn't sound like Mac Jones is thinking too much about this award and what he might say if he wins it. Uh, here was the sound after their uh, Rose Bowl win. Your thoughts as you look to that ceremony and how much does it mean to be a part of and how much thought have you given or will you give to an acceptance speech uh, in, in terms of writing it in the next few yeah, days? That, that's a rat poison question. Um, I, mean, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like, We were really focused on this game, which I'm really proud of everybody just locking into this. And we've, we've won a lot of games and a lot of people are going uh, to get awards. Um, so it's just part of the team effort. And then obviously the most important thing is not letting that be a distraction for our next game because the, the next game is the most important game, and that's where we want to be. And we're finally here, and we got to score one more point than the other team. So um, that's kind of our goal. Fitz, I wanted to play that because it's hilarious, first of all. And if he does have any prepared remarks, we're going to know that it wasn't a rat poison question. But also because he went from true honesty of this is rat poison and every, all his teammates up on the podium laughing alongside him to just the most cliches in the shortest time. We're going to stay focused. It's a team effort. No distractions. Next game is most important. We're going to score one more point than the other team. Like, he just rattled it off, got right back into quarterback mode. It was a Heisman-level quarterback cliche performance from him. That's all he should play at the Combine, too, is just that moment to show he can handle it. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, we're 40 minutes from the Heisman Trophy announcement. Again, we'll carry it live, but there's a huge story in the NFL that could impact the playoffs this weekend. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. 
And again, the Heisman Trophy announced you'll be able to hear it here live. You'll also hear the acceptance speech live, and we'll talk to the winner right after on this show. So even when we go to the Heisman, don't get away from us. We'll get right back to you uh, as soon as the award's done and the acceptance speech is done. In the meantime, there's some big NFL news uh, to get into, and we're going to go to the Goodyear hotline in order to do it. We'll get you some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Sarah, things have not gone well for the Browns suddenly as we find out that they will be without head coach Kevin Stefanski as five members of the Browns organization uh, have tested positive for COVID-19 and now will miss this weekend's playoff game. To help us break it down, ESPN Cleveland's Emmett Golden joins us. Emmett, give us a sense of the level of angst and panic in Cleveland to this news. Um, a hundred, ten, depends on the scale, you know, that you want me to judge it on, but it's at the top of whatever list, you know, or whatever scale that we use. It's, it's just absolutely devastating news. You know, uh, when I heard the news, I thought, oh, I see, only in Cleveland. 48 <laughs> hours ago, everybody was riding high and, and we were feeling good, and then you find out Kevin Stefanski, a guy that many people in Cleveland give credit for the Browns' success, he will not be on the sidelines on Sunday, and that is devastating. Yeah, this is obviously a team that for many, and I've heard Browns fans say, they're satisfied with being there after 18 years. But you say that, and a part of you still, of course, wants the opportunity to win, especially against a rival like the Steelers. How many fans seem to be pushing for the NFL to move the game, postpone the game, change the rules that they've used all season about the difference between an uncontrollable spread and important pieces being out? Yeah, I mean, everybody would love to see the uh, game moved, but, you know, I mean, Kevin Stefanski just tested positive today, so best-case scenario, if he's out for 10 days, I don't know if the league would move every game. You definitely can't move one, and you got double buys for the – it's just so much involved. I can't see that uh, happening, but it's definitely something that all the fans uh, want to see. I just don't think it would really benefit, you know, the Browns because Kevin Stefanski, along with some of their other coaches, and they got a ton of players out. I'm not sure everyone could be back, you know, if they move the game a few days or so. Emmett, how active is Kevin Stefanski? Like, we all know he's going to be there all week anyway, Zoom, remote. They find ways to do that. But for game day, what actual consequence do you feel like it has during the game? Well, you know, I, I think it has a big consequence because he was the play caller and Alex Van Pelt will you know take over those duties and and we feel pretty comfortable uh about AVP here in Cleveland everybody respects him but it's just something about you know Stefanski was the guy that turned this team around from six and ten to eleven and five and everyone has a real comfort level with Kevin now he'll come up with the game plan along with uh Alex Van Pelt like they always do so he will be heavily involved you're just turning the keys over you know uh to your car to Alex Van Pelt and that just leaves people nervous and has nothing to do with AVP. It has everything to do with just how highly everyone thinks of Kevin Stefanski. Emmett Golden of ESPN Cleveland with us here on the Goodyear Hotline at Spain and Fitz. Emmett, uh, Clinton Yates brought up today on Around the Horn something. You know, he seems to feel like a lot of spreads have happened with the Browns. They've had COVID issues all year. Do you think there's a reason to question whether or not they've actually figured out and taken the right precautions when it comes to protocol and regulations this season? It definitely seems like lately there's been a huge spike. Early on in the year, I mean, the Browns 
seemed to roll and they didn't have many issues at all. But over the past three weeks, things have popped up. And, you know, I know the holidays happen. I don't know if that's the reason for it. You don't know. You know, we assume that the players have been diligent because they have all year. Uh, We don't know if it's a spike, you know, just overall. But, yeah, it is it is weird. And I know the NFL says that they believe um, this isn't an internal thing, that all of the positive tests are coming from the outside. That's a little weird. You know, I think these guys, they play together. They sit next to each other. It's kind of hard to imagine that they wouldn't pass it to one another. Um, but it is definitely a question, you know, to ask and something to think about. Emmett, we appreciate your time, man. I feel your pain. Look, as a Raiders fan, I can't imagine what it would feel like to finally watch a playoff game and see this happening. So there is genuine hurt in my heart for Cleveland fans. We appreciate you coming on and joining us. Well, thank you for your sympathy. It is greatly needed right now. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's, that's, it's a little weird, right? Oh, I see. Only in Cleveland. <laughs> Only in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Emmett. That's some Thanks, straight guys. talk. Straight talk wireless. No contracts. No compromise. Coming from Emmett Golden. Check it out. Check him out on ESPN Cleveland. All right. We're 30 minutes away from the Heisman Trophy announcement. Don't forget that. You'll hear it right here. But we've got more. We've got our thoughts on the Browns and the impact COVID can have on their playoff hopes. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, look at this little Backstreet Boys remix for Fitz. Your fave. Your wife's going crazy at home right now. She loves them. I'll take it. Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. Reminder, we're going to have the Heisman announcement for you live as it happens, and then we expect to be joined by the winner shortly thereafter. So stick with us here on Spain and Fitz. we got some good stuff coming up. I want to uh, react a little bit more to the Brown story we were just talking about with Emmett because, first of all, there's the obvious, which is, come on, Cleveland, like of all the teams (laughs) that this is going to happen to, haven't they somehow already paid back whatever karmic uh, destruction they caused that resulted in the 18-year drought and everything else that has happened to them. How is it possible that there's more penance to pay? Uh, but also, I think Fitz is going to bring up that conversation that had me banging my head against a wall weeks ago in the NFL, which is what constitutes a decision that means a postponement or a cancellation. They obviously aren't going to cancel a, a postseason game or hand it over as a forfeiture, but postponement by a couple days. H- how much of a spread needs to be underway? And that, if you remember, is the difference between you're playing this game, whether or not you have a quarterback, whether or not all your wide receivers are gone, whether or not you have a coach, if it feels as though it's contained. And the difference here is it's only Tuesday. What happens if by Friday it appears as though there is an uncontrolled spread that has not yet been contained to one specific part of the team and, and taken care of and those people separated? Then what does the NFL do? If they postpone that, do they postpone all games so they're on the same schedule? Do they postpone one and then have that series be pushed back whatever number of days um there is that two weeks you know before the super bowl that's always built in do they take that into account but then what if there's a spread later and they've got no more weeks to push back i mean this is a really tough situation this is a worst case situation for the nfl i mean this is the absolute thing that they had to fear well, the, the worst most. case would be way, patrick mahomes <laughs> well that's probably fair you're right it, it, the, maybe a quarterback would be worse but when you look at you losing the coach and by the way a pro bowl offensive lineman uh, you know mm-hmm. they, they've got 
massive pieces for a team that runs the ball as much as Cleveland does. They've got massive pieces that are going to be important for them to try and win this game that won't be available, and it's it's crippling for them going into this matchup to try and figure out. I mean, let's be real. They barely beat the Steelers when the Steelers had nothing to play for, and uh, they had Mason Rudolph at quarterback last week. Like, if you're Cleveland, you got to come in and say, yeah, but we're going to be – we're just going to come in and we're going to get things right, and we're going to play a perfect game, and we can beat the Steelers now. I don't know how even if they play a perfect game as they are now, they can have a great shot at winning it. It feels like the cards are now stacked so heavily against them in a playoff game. I mean, it's sort of a nightmare optics, uh, optic-wise for the NFL, too. So I don't know what they do. In, in theory, the NFL is probably sitting back praying that there aren't more tests throughout the course of the week because you're right, if it continues to spread, they can't play a game. Well, Fitz, we just talked about this on the show last night. We said... Despite postponements, despite a couple glaring examples of big names like Cam Newton or Lamar Jackson being out for games, despite the schedule being shifted for the Steelers and Ravens multiple times in the Broncos situation, we mostly felt like the teams that seemed like the best teams made it. And the Patriots are a good example of so many opt-outs preseason that who knows what that team would have looked like maybe if they hadn't had that. But for the most part, it felt more like a regular NFL season than I thought when it started in terms of feeling less asterisky, more legitimate. Although that's being said, of course, understanding that there are a lot of things that are perhaps not seen in a box score or understood when it comes to chemistry and preseason and workouts and everything else that got altered this year. But this, if it ends up being no coach, multiple players missing, uh, a a shadow of that Browns team in their first playoff appearance in 18 years, that's big. And especially considering that you might have a couple weeks ago said, Steelers, Browns, Steelers are going to win that. Look at this team undefeated. They're fantastic. But in recent weeks, it was the Steelers could be one and done. They look like not the team that we saw earlier in the season. They they don't have it. Ben Roethlisberger can't hit the deep ball. What what happened to them? Who are they now? Now it's like, depending on the result, you might feel like the Browns would have been a better team. Well, and, you know, the other thing that all of this creates is some level of understanding of precedent, you know, because this is the beginning of the playoffs. And one thing that we said yesterday as we came back after having a break is, hey, 2021 doesn't necessarily mean that everything from 2020 is now over. Like, we didn't wake up on New Year's Day, suddenly COVID was solved and no longer an issue, right? And so we're seeing that here. I wonder how the league handles this, but I also wonder what it means moving forward as they look at every other matchup in the future for the rest of this playoff run because up to the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, they may have some flexibility to push back a week, right? Like, But if you're trying to get to the Super Bowl, it is difficult to have any wiggle room to push some of these games back without giving tremendous, strange competitive advantage to whichever mm-hmm. teams are now suddenly getting long buys. Like, this is sort of the area that they're in, the gray area that they're in. If Cleveland is the only team that has to deal with it throughout the entirety of the playoffs it's not a big deal but Roger Goodell has to be very careful in whatever they decide they're going to do because it is certainly going to cause some level of but what about Cleveland for every round moving forward if this happens again well and also there's the issue of you can't look ahead and see what's to come if you move this back and everybody moves back because of Cleveland and then four days from now the Steelers have an outbreak and then they aren't able to play in the moved back game when they would have been healthy right or or two weeks from now it's a different team but now you've got no room to move then it does look like you've prioritized one team's 
strain over another, which is why during the regular season, as frustrating as it was at times, it felt like they made the right decisions. It was, we're not postponing unless you have an uncontrolled spread. Otherwise, we can't make decisions based on who you're missing. It can't be, oh, well, this time it's a quarterback and a coach, and last time it was a backup corner. It's got to be the same every time, and that's what we're looking at right now, although that can change if things change for the Browns or the Steelers in the coming days. And, of course, we'll be keeping updated on that. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast on uh, your ESPN uh, app, your iTunes, everything else. Uh, Quickly, Fitz, I wanted to ask you about this uh, before we get back to the Heisman stuff. I I don't know if you saw this, but the NHL announced just for this year, uh, presumably as they try to make up some money from from seasons and and no fans, their naming uh, rates for the divisions have been sold. So there will be a Scotia North division, a Honda West, a Discover Central, and a Mass Mutual East. They don't roll off the tongue. They don't feel particularly hockey to me. I would like a Molson North. I would like a Labatt's West. Uh, so if you had a s- sort of theme for the divisions, what would you go with? It'd have to be based on where each proximity. Like, I need a Tim Hortons reference in there somewhere. Like, the minute you go into Canada, <laughs> it's just Dunkin' Donuts on Canada. But, you know, I think you got to put in, like, a Timmy Hortons reference. That is a good call. Well, let's see what you guys think. I'm going to put it up uh, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. In just a minute, I'll put it up. You guys let us know if you were able to name the divisions, what theme or what choices would you choose to make it feel more like a hockey thing and not so corporate. Uh, I get why they're doing it, though, Fitz. I'm not going to dog them for it because uh, it's much more important to make up that money and keep play going than it is to have us not have to worry about spitting out the Mass Mutual NHL North Division every single time because of sponsor rules. Uh, We're about 15 minutes from the Heisman Trophy presentation. Who's bringing home the hardware? We're going to talk about it next, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're just moments away from the Heisman Trophy presentation, and when that are happens, we? We've been we, moments well, away for a while, Fitz. <laughs> <laughs> it's called building suspense, Sarah. Uh, These poor players have just sweat straight through the butts of their pants. Oh, there's no doubt, and there's nothing Swats. worse than that. Those are those are nice, nice suit pants, though. That are just <laughs> Is that velvet? At this point. <laughs> Uh, we will take you directly to the Heisman Trophy presentation uh, as the before the award is given out. We'll make sure that you hear that. You'll hear it live here. You'll also hear the acceptance speech from the winner, and then we will have the winner on Spain and Fit. So don't go anywhere. Uh, you'll get all the Heisman Trophy uh, wanted uh, info that you could want coming up. Sarah, I, I don't have a vote obviously for the Heisman. If I did. As great as Devontae has been, I think I would still give it to Trevor Lawrence. I still believe that Trevor Lawrence is the best player in college football. And at some point, we become so numb to greatness that we see all the time that I I just feel like if there's one guy at college football that you look around and you say, that guy's the best player in all the world right now, it's Trevor Lawrence. So it's oversimplifying for me, but I would give him the Heisman. Yeah, and it's hard because whenever we do any of these kind of awards, whether it's MVPs at the professional level or various awards at the collegiate level, we get into the semantics of it. What does it mean to be the most outstanding player in all of college football? Does it mean the best player? It doesn't mean the best performance. Does it mean, you know, completely removing from any memory what you've seen from them in the past, which is certainly a part of Trevor Lawrence's lore? He missed three games this year. How much does that matter, right? And how much better do you have to be as a wideout to be a favorite the way that Devontae Smith has been? Um, All those things come into play. And the people voting probably aren't even using the same metrics as each other, right? Some people might be saying, to your point, he's going to go first in the draft. He is the best player. He's going to have the best career after. And some people might be saying he he's not a part of this. He missed two of their biggest games this year. And, you know, of course, we didn't get to see the semis, but it was a disappointing outcome in that game. 
Uh, you know, I, I think that's one of the toughest things about arguing any of these is, especially in football, when you try to compare two positions, it's nearly impossible. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think one of the other interesting things is we're not used to seeing a wide receiver win. As I mentioned earlier, Desmond Howard, the last wide receiver to win, but he would be the third essentially joining Desmond and Tim Brown. Both Desmond and Tim Brown were known at their college careers for being dynamic punt returners too. Yep. Now, Devontae certainly has had some moments this year, uh, nine returns, 219 yards, but it's not like that's part of what we think of when we think of the body of work. We think of the body of work being just a wide receiver. So it, it is such a huge change from what we're used to. The chaos lover in me loves that though. I love the, <laughs> the idea that it's not just going to go to a quarterback. Well, we talked about this earlier, but here's the actual numbers. From 1973 to 83, only running backs won. From 1984 to 2000, there were eight quarterbacks and six running backs, and then Charles Woodson in 97. And then Tim Brown and and Desmond Howard, only two receivers to win the award in 87 and 91. And like you said, those guys were really known a lot for their return game as well, for being multifaceted. Johnny Rogers, listed as a receiver, won in 1972, but played multiple positions. And then since 2001, 16 quarterbacks, three running backs, and one receiver snub in Larry Fitzgerald, who everyone thought should have won in 2003. So it's moved a lot. The fact that there was a whole straight decade of only running backs just tells you how much the the way we see the game and the way the game is played affects how you view who the most important player is. And again, that's a different word than I used before. Outstanding, important, valuable, memorable, right? All that stuff comes into play. And memorable is one that stands out too because of how much people look for those quote-unquote Heisman moments. Right. That one handed catch that Devontae Smith had is that Heisman moment for him. Uh, You know, quarterbacks have those those passes and those, you know, game winning Hail Mary type plays and all that other stuff that stands out in people's minds. And they remember that more than maybe a statistical greatness. So all that comes into play tonight. You're so right about that. I I was part of a narrated uh, segment that we did on YouTube. We did features on different Heisman winners. And one of the chapters that they asked each of us to identify in the winner that we were looking at was the Heisman moment. So it's funny that you say that because it's absolutely true uh, when, you, when you think about how it breaks down. And, and look, there's also such a human element to this. Sarah. Like We're both big Saturday Night Live fans. If we were forced to sit down in a room full of other SNL fans and ask who the best cast member is of all time, right. think of the We would all say Eddie Murphy, but after that it'd be hard. Well, what, 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 <laughs> so that, and like I, I always joke with my friends. Imagine you can't even. Like, most of us can't get our friends, ten people in a room, to agree where we should go for dinner. Right. Nonetheless, like the best <laughs> restaurant in town. So when you start thinking about the best or most valuable or what Heisman means to each different voter, I think that that's a little bit of the the component we have to remember to the human element. Everybody does look for something different because it's to mm-hmm. each individual voter's preference. I think if if the Heisman can do anything, the one thing the Heisman in my mind should have done a long time ago is narrow the focus a little bit of how many people vote to make sure that when you're voting you have the expertise required right you've watched the games is important yeah. i think i mean um, that is a little thing but you know what something you mentioned earlier and by the way it's spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 and the spain and fitz podcast wherever you get your podcast uh, you mentioned earlier the trevor lawrence thing about how it could be wild to see him miss out on the award despite his greatness and i do wonder if any voters would think to themselves well, you know, with Trevor Lawrence missing out, and we don't want it to go down as this guy never winning one, right? Like we don't we don't want it to feel like uh, he he earned it, and and because of COVID and the games that he missed, he doesn't get it. So I, that could be in the back of people's heads. 
Well, you're right, and then I, I can hear myself just yelling at somebody saying, it's not a career a career award, it's a one-year award. Yeah, like, which I can it see isn't. myself, yeah. but there's also human nature. Like, maybe it's a little like the Browns discussion we were having earlier. Like, sometimes things happen that just stink, right? Like, sometimes <laughs> the way it works out just isn't, it, it's not fair, and everybody hates it, and it just stinks and maybe that is the case for Trevor Lawrence like it just happens to be that you know this year he missed some games to COVID and last year uh, Joe Burrow came out and did things that we've never seen quarterbacks do but then Alabama fans will say to that point with the quarterback well Mac Jones has put up Joe Burrow like numbers so maybe that's just maybe he's not getting enough and they might cancel each other out those quarterbacks this the, the, the similarities there and also, by the way, if you ask Trevor Lawrence, I'm fairly certain he would love to win this award, but he would also much rather have a super successful NFL career. And while recent years, like last five or six, have all been guys who've been good or are looking to to, to have great careers, uh, you look back at, for instance, Johnny Manziel, and you say, yeah, you know what's more important? Maybe isn't to hit it on that exact year and get that award, but maybe to be setting yourself up for what comes next. <laughs> Yeah, well, and God, we all got used to that. It felt like a generation of a Heisman winner doesn't mean they're going to be a great exactly. NFL player. But I just, I know? just reminded myself of the most recent years, and it has not been the case in recent years. It has been a, a pretty solid, um, solid run for for the Heisman Trophy Award winners in the NFL. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We now know the winner of the Heisman Trophy award is Devontae Smith, wide receiver out of Alabama. Sarah, not really a shock to any of us. Great to hear the emotion in his voice and talk about sort of the the odds that were overcome and, and what this moment and opportunity means for him as a, as a kid and for him as a young man and for him as a player. And uh, this is an incredible moment for he and his family that he'll remember forever. So really cool to see that. Yeah, he sounded really nervous and it was cute. Uh like I said, love the fit, love the velvet. Um, very simple speech. And listen, it was going to be pretty tough to follow that Joe Burrow Heisman moment, if you remember. I mean, that that speech went beyond uh, the confidence and sort of the swagger that we know from Joe Burrow and went into a really heartfelt place that was extremely moving for the people from where he came and, and uh, I think set him up for uh, letting the Bengals know exactly who they were getting in a person. Um, so maybe a little bit more simplicity here from from Devonte, but I like what he said. You know that he's not the biggest and not the strongest, but if you put your mind to it, you can do it. And he certainly did a great job of making sure he reached out to all the other pieces that have been a part of his success, whether they be family or or folks from 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 the Crimson Tide. So uh, I liked it. Uh, it was it was short and sweet. Well, and he is uh, as he says, not the biggest. He's six one one seventy five is what they have him listed as. And uh, again, he is one. He's not wrong. I mean, there isn't this book on him that he is this, you know, massive person or this incredibly fast person. He's just always open. He always finds a way to get open, always finds a way to make a catch. And, you know, again, that's taking nothing away from Mac Jones, his quarterback, that I think has also had a remarkable season this year. In fact, all of the finalists were great uh, this year, but I think there was just something special about the way that Devontae was able to dominate week in and week out and just became such a rising part. Momentum matters. In these things and over the last what month of the year he got so much momentum mm-hmm. coming in every single week to the voters to the eyes of the voters he was on the top of everybody's mind we'll speak to him in just a few minutes by the way uh, so Sarah I, you know this is for all the questions about who could win uh, there's still a moment of, of greatness here to celebrate for the fact that he did win yeah absolutely and uh 
just the fact that he was the front runner doesn't make it any more impressive to end that 20 plus year drought for wide receivers. Uh, also, you know, you mentioned his build slim reaper. Uh, you know, it's also Kevin Durant's nickname. I don't know if he's going to be able to ride with that for the rest of his crew might need to come up with something better, uh, since that one's taken, but it does sort of, um, you know, true G's move in silence, like lasagna kind of vibe, right? He's, uh, he, he, he does, you don't see him coming. You don't expect it from him. And maybe that's also part of the reason that he built such a head of steam because there was so much focus on Waddle or there was so much focus on the quarterbacks this year. Uh, he had to go above and beyond and he had to do some really impressive things to stand out. And he did. Well, and you look at his stat line over the last few weeks of the season and you think about some of these big games, Notre Dame, a playoff game against a defense that we thought would be able to at least be competitive. He had seven catches for 130 yards. The game before that in Florida when they needed every ounce of everything he could give them offensively, 15 catches for 184 yards. I mean, you start looking at those and their video game numbers against LSU, eight catches for 231. I mean, that's just a level of dominance and also a quick moment to give uh, Alabama some love. It's not that long ago that Alabama was winning games 10 to 6 and then all of a sudden Nick Saban looked around and said, "Fine. If you if we're going to make the game about offense, then I'll just have better offense than everybody." And now from a school that's given us uh, names like Amari Cooper and Calvin Ridley, given us so many superstars, Julio Jones. Uh, I've had a couple of our college football analysts over the last 2 weeks say that they feel like as an overall receiver that Devontae is on par with or better than all of those big names and he's going to be a star in the eyes of many. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, reacting to Devontae Smith being named the Heisman Trophy winner this year. You know, on the one hand, you have a great team around you. It's going to elevate the eyeballs, and it's going to make your your performance more important because you're playing for a team that's competing for a national championship. On the other hand, all of those disparate parts are going to get their own shine and their own touches. You're playing alongside a great quarterback. You're playing alongside a great running back, and you're playing at the beginning of the season behind a great wideout, and yet he managed to shine so much with all of that around him. And again, you're going to look great when your run game is strong and Harris is able to take the attention and and open you up for big plays, and you're going to maybe benefit a bit from the focus being on Waddle early in the season, defenses queuing on you more once he gets hurt. Uh, But all of that comes together to both support his ability to play well, and also the ability to outshine him, and that didn't happen. And I think that's one of the reasons that he managed to break through an award that so often goes to quarterbacks. Well, and there's also this level of take away what the other team does. And, you know, for the numbers that he has put up, it's not because teams weren't trying to take him away. I, that, that's, the I think, the most stunning part to me is that you went into every week at some point knowing that there were two two pass, uh, two pass catchers in college football this year, Devontae Smith and Kyle Pitts at Florida, that you knew those guys were going to get their touches, they were going to get their looks, and those were the guys you had to shut down, and you just couldn't. And I asked a couple of the guys before the semifinal, if there's one player that you have to shut down on Alabama – Uh, to beat him, who is it? The answer was always Devontae Smith, and the answer is, but there's no way to do that. So for him to have come up, and and this, I don't want to make light of the seasons he's had before. He's been a very good receiver, but to go from being very good to being what he is this year, I mean, last year he got 68 balls for 1,256 yards. It's nothing, uh, that's nothing to scoff at, right? But to go into the role that he went into this year, to take that gigantic leap, it's it's been incredible to watch. Trevor Lawrence, the runner-up, uh, he was the one that I think you pointed out. If somebody else might take it, it was likely to be him. But some 440-something first-place votes for Smith versus 200-something first-place votes for Trevor Lawrence. So it wasn't even all that close. 
Well, and that's a, another statement to his dominance. Uh, we're going to hear from him in just a couple of minutes, so we'll keep breaking down the Heisman. We'll let you hear directly from Devontae Smith. He's going to join us in just a moment. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And now, without further ado, the 2020 winner of the Heisman Trophy is Devontae Smith of the University of Alabama. That was just a few minutes ago. You heard it here live. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and in just a couple of minutes, Devontae Smith will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. So uh, until we get him, Sarah, we've been talking a lot about Devontae, and it's a reminder, I said at the at the end of it, of the change in Alabama, right? Like Alabama went from being this defensive-minded team, and uh, Feinbaum tells the story really well, that eventually Saban went to the, the powers that be in college football and said, you know, defense can never win with these rule changes, and uh, those powers that be said, we don't care. So he just changed everything he did, and now all of a sudden – they become a factory for wide receivers. I mean, they turn them out at an alarming rate. Devontae Smith is now the most accomplished of all of them by getting the Heisman Trophy. So an incredible statement to the change and a reminder that this Alabama team we're going to see in the national championship game is so much different than they were even five, six years ago. And, and part of that is that you always see the assistants under Saban go on to their own careers, right? And so that identity shifts sometimes with who the dominant coach is, Kirby Smart, and his sort of defensive style was a big part of, of what made them known for that. Um, and, and he's off now. And as you see coaches come and go there, their identity sort of becomes a part of it, even though Saban's still obviously the, the BMOC. Uh, but you're right. It, it's funny, too, though, that as we focus on the Alabama offense and there are questions about the defense, their defensive line still all looks like they're like 28 years old and could absolutely <laughs> crush in the pros. Right? They just, they showed the the line photos uh, in that semis and just lining up all the faces next to each other. I was like uh, deeply afraid sitting at home on my couch. Well, and you know, the, all of that has me thinking a little bit about this national championship game because uh, you know, realistically, there's been so many murmurs and they're quiet murmurs at this point about the possibility of whether or not this game can be played on the 11th, if there are going to be COVID issues around Ohio State. And certainly we're not reporting anything yet. We don't have anything on it yet other than uh, as a network, we've been told specifically that the game is on as planned. But uh, that's not necessarily the way the Twitter world was reacting. Mm-hmm. And it even came down to Saban's daughter who tweeted a now deleted tweet, Sarah, saying essentially, you know, if you're afraid to play, just tell us and accusing Ohio State of not wanting to play the game because they want Justin Fields to get healthy. So they're trying to get a little delay. This yeah, is here's the sort what of wrote. drama here's I'm what in she wrote. She said, she tweeted and then deleted. If you're not confident to play, then say it. I call BS on the COVID cases. They're just worried about their QB and want him to have more time to heal. If he's hurt, put in your backup. You didn't see us postpone the rest of the season to wait for Waddle. Bye. She deleted it, but Cardell Jones saw it and screen grabbed it or saw a screen grab of it and retweeted it, wrote, sure you want to face another backup from OSU? You know what happened last time, right? Which is a severely (laughs) great burn. Just an absolutely tremendous tweet. Uh, that is the sort of uh, trash talking I'm in for uh, for this game. And realistically, <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier about worst case scenarios for 
the NFL as the the Browns are dealing with so many COVID issues. Uh, for the for the college football landscape, there's at least some flexibility. The important thing is they get it right and uh, that they they maintain some sort of integrity to the way they've been handling it, so that they know that they're handling it with some consistency moving forward. That's just asking a lot when there's been virtually no consistency in college football. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit trickier at the collegiate level. Um, at least it's down to just one last game, and so. Uh, they would be able to move it without affecting what comes down the line. This is it. This is the end of the line. Uh, But if it feels like they are benefiting one team or the other by virtue of moving it, that would not sit very well. And as you could see, it's already not sitting well with folks in in Bama. I don't know what Saban's daughter might be hearing about it being issues on the Ohio State side. That certainly sounds like that's what she's hearing, right? Um, Otherwise, she wouldn't be accusing them of of being interested in backing it up. But... um, a lot can happen between now and Monday. A lot. And so uh, I think you're right when you say the murmurs are persistent but quiet. Um, and we certainly need to see, uh, you know, if whatever is causing those murmurs is going to get worse or better in the coming days. Well, and everybody needs to slow their roll a little bit. And, and, you know, this is the time where it can be dangerous to go too quickly into any level of presumption. What I hope is that there are no COVID issues. Also, what I hope is that COVID wouldn't be used for an excuse to help their quarterback get healthier. And and I understand the conspiracy that, like, we no longer live in a world where anything can just be normal and anything can just be taken for what it is. It feels like everybody has to doubt everything and there are ulterior motives to all of it, right? Like, that's just where it is. So I understand the, the Bama fans that would turn around and say, we're just trying to get Justin Fields healthy. I, I, I get it. I understand right. it. Well, uh, but there also is a bigger issue here, and that issue is COVID. Like, that, that's not something I'm going to make light it, of just because of a quarterback injury. That you get that people say dumb things, then sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I get how they connect se- the dots. Right. It's a pretty severe accusation to argue that a team is faking pandemic-related tests in order to, to, to earn themselves some time. I mean, it brings me back to Dabo Swinney and, and Dabo... Sweeney saying, first of all, in April, that God can stamp this out as quick as it rose up. That's what's going to happen about COVID. And then changing his tune when he recognized uh, that it is, in fact, real. And then in November, if you remember, saying Florida State was using COVID as an excuse to cancel. Right. He he made multiple statements. And that's part of the reason that people were so thrilled to see Dabo get his butt whooped in the semis. Uh, but I, if I were Saban's daughter or anyone else, I probably would have learned from the reaction to Dabo claiming that COVID is being used as a strategic device. Uh, and I probably wouldn't probably wouldn't say it. Do what do you think that phone call is like? Since the tweet has now been deleted, like what's that phone call <laughs> from, like from Dad? From Nick I to mean, <laughs> because I've seen you know very little of it, but I've seen a little of the passion of Nick Saban. The couple of times I've had the opportunity to interview him, and the man has whatever that intimidating it factor is. He's got it right. He's got it for days. So I can't imagine when it's like, "Hi, Dad, how's it going?" Like, I, is that the way it goes, or does you know does Mom call and say your father's upset? It feels like that's a your father's upset call uh yeah it sure does um i i i uh i would not want to cross him and listen you're in a really tough position if you are a close family member or friend of anybody in the sports world where you might feel like you could break some news every once in a while but you wouldn't necessarily be journalistically prepared to, in how and when to, to leak things and and when something's just for the ears of the of the household or not, um, it it feels like maybe she. And that's the other problem too is that it doesn't mean that that's what someone's parent is saying when their child says something. But oftentimes that's how we react 
oh, this must be something that Saban's saying to her, and now she's going public. And we don't we don't know that that's the case, but it sure does make you question it. Yeah, well, thank God that my, my parents and I are not uh, aligned much in the way we communicate. Okay, uh, understandably right now, Devontae uh, is uh, he's being pulled in a million different directions. So uh, as soon as we can get Devontae Smith for you, we will. In the meantime... In the meantime, we're going to is... roast him for not coming... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh no, no! Not until we know for sure he's not coming, and then, it, then, it's then, it's all, and then it's all. Yeah. Then I'm changing my pick and everything um, for the Nationals. And no, I'm not. I'm calling Jeff Ross and Carrot Top, and it's on. <laughs> all right, but uh, speaking of roasting, if we're going to roast somebody, maybe it's a good time to roast Urban Meyer. Or at least the oh. rumors. If you haven't seen it, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. Urban Meyer is obviously the hot name, and he's the hot name every time a college job is open. We're used to that by now. He's the hot name every time an NFL job is open. We're used to that by now. But now there are rumors that just seem to be getting enough legs to make everybody wonder if Urban Meyer is about to be the coach of the Jags at the tune of a reported $12 million million dollars mm. per year so the Jags thinking the rebuild according to some of these rumors are going to be Trevor Lawrence united with Urban Meyer and it, Sarah there's a lot to break down and try and figure out here so we had uh, around the horn at home today because there were some concerns around the, this, the DC studio because of protests and various things in the area so we did it from home it was disjointed I was rushed I had all of these things to say about Urban Meyer and I didn't spit them out so I'm going to say them here first of all I understand that some of the issues that happen at the collegiate level are not as pressing when they happen professionally. But you don't absolve someone of any morality or need to have morals just because they become a professional coach. I think there are still deep flaws and deep issues with Urban Meyer that should be considered when you want him to represent your franchise. When you have $81 million in cap space and a rookie quarterback, and all of that is dependent on the leadership of someone who has never held a job at the NFL level. And you could say he's known for the culture that he creates, for the strict and, and and strictness and the leadership and everything else. But we don't know if that translates to 20-something-year-old multimillionaires the way that it does to amateurs. We don't know that yet. Maybe it does. A lot of people sure think it will. And a lot of people are down for this job going to him. But that's a really big risk to take at such a pivotal turning point in your franchise. I'm also very concerned about the health issues that seem to be, and I am not downplaying them all. We know he has... Uh, we know he has a brain cyst. We know he has had chest pain issues. Those are real. But they also seem to come up at opportune moments when things are not going well for him in terms of the, the teams and the situations and the, and the cultures he's created. If you remember, in the independent investigation into what was going on with his assistant coach at Ohio State and domestic violence, they said that he had significant memory issues, periodically took medicine that negatively impaired his concentration, his focus, and his memory. He, of course, used those medical issues to announce he was retiring three times in the nine years between 2009 and 2018. He suffered chest pains and broke down in the middle of a game. He has continued to undergo treatment for the cysts on his brain, and he continues to use that as a reason that he is unable to keep working his job. Why would you believe that those things have all been fixed? And if you do believe that they've all been fixed, then we should care even more that he used them as an excuse to pretend like he didn't know what was going on at Ohio State, couldn't remember, might have erased his phone, we're not sure. All of this stuff still matters. Just because a couple years have passed doesn't mean that you absolve from his record all of the issues that happened underneath him at every stop he's been at. And why would you want to invest in someone that has already retired three times and constantly tells you that he is not medically up to the job? That just, to me, seems like a terrible decision. And now I got most of it out. Sorry. 
Um, no, I, I mean, everything you just said was incredible and correct and clip that off. And uh, I, I think the other, the, the element of the health that, that really hits me, it, I was talking to one of our college football guys recently and they said they'd never been around anyone that took a loss harder than Urban Meyer. And when mm. he loses, it just rocks him to his core and it's physically, it, it's hard for him. If that's the case and that's the belief around him and you know that he's going to a franchise in Jacksonville that has a history of losing a lot of games, that's a franchise that's going to be in rebuild mode, you're taking the risk that whatever that trigger may be for all these health concerns comes right back. The worst thing you can do with a young quarterback is offer them anything less than stability. If you start changing offensive coordinators, if you start changing play calling, if you start changing the systems that are around them, you make everything around them wishy-washy. It's tougher for them to get any solid ground to develop around. So if I'm Jacksonville, my only concern isn't who's coaching. My only, If I know that I'm taking Trevor Lawrence, my number one only concern is how do I make Trevor Lawrence great? Because if he's great, my franchise will be relevant for the next 20 years. If I know that that's my only concern, I can't possibly justify hiring a coach that I can't assure because of reasons other than just what happens on the field may or may not be around in three years. That's a level of up and down that I'm not willing to take and risk. I, I don't understand the want for the name above the want for stability. Get the best coach to develop Trevor Lawrence, not just for the next one year, but for the next five years. Sign him to a six-year deal so that they're there for the entirety of Trevor Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract and give your organization stability moving forward. Anything less than that is disrespectful to Trevor Lawrence's growth and it will be disrespectful to Jack's fans. I mostly agree with that, but I don't think at the NFL level that if you are having a successful run with a coach, you're likely to lose them. I don't know that you need to up him for that long because then you're going to pay him and he's going to be presumably could be cut if it doesn't work out. I don't know that you need to off the top commit to that. But you can plan for that, assuming things go well. You know what I mean? The only, I reason, think- the only reason I say sign coaches to six-year contracts is because we've seen it in San Francisco, you know, with the way they built their organization. At some point, I feel like coaches, and Gruden's a good example of this with the Raiders, coaches coach differently when they're not constantly worried about their job right now. Right. They always say that the, the disconnect is a GM's worried about the future, a coach is worried about right now. If I'm trying to change the culture around a young quarterback, <laughs> then I want some level of yeah, – I want some level of, hey, this is going to be my guy, and I'm all in on this guy, and I'm not going to, I don't want him to worry if we go 4 12. That's a good point. I do agree with you that there is a sort of longer term approach um, to lasting and consistent contention when you know that you're not playing for your job every moment. Um, I just, I don't know that I would need to know that he was around for six years for this to be worth it, but a couple years, absolutely. And, And we don't know that for sure. Uh, obviously, he had a ton of success at the collegiate level, but there is a big difference. We've seen some success of late, by the way, of collegiate coaches going to the NFL, but we've also seen some dramatic and terrible and expensive failures. And I just, there's a lot of things that work at the collegiate level to give you a leg up on other teams that are not available to you in the pros. And again, I worry about how your leadership style translates to paid professionals versus a bunch of scared amateurs who say, sir, yes, sir, and line up and listen to everything you say. Look no further than Nick Saban, and I realized that he didn't get the quarterback he wanted, and that's how we shift the narrative. But with the Dolphins, he was a meh. 
coach. And then mm-hmm. he goes to Alabama where he becomes Nick Saban, right? So there's no assurance. If the greatest coach in college football history, arguably, can't do it, there's no assurance anybody can. It is a much different world. All right, coming up, we'll bring in an expert to help us weigh in on the Heisman Trophy and, of course, on the college football playoff and what to expect from the championship. That's all coming next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and, as always, the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Listen, I had expectations for 2021 too, but why would we assume that a calendar page would ruin uh, what we had running for us in 2020? So, uh, yeah, we're not getting <laughs> Devontae Smith. Uh, he is a busy man. Lots going on. Just won the Heisman. Uh, but we uh, we uh, we will still honor him by saying that he was in the zone. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Devontae Smith was in the zone tonight, taking home the Heisman Trophy. And then, I guess, giving us the Heisman on the call that we were going to have with them. A little bit of a stiff arm on that uh, on that post show interview. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We will not blame Devonte. I will blame instead uh, Bama because it's more fun too. Uh, uh, we're going to get back to the, fair. yes, it's it's fair and it's warranted and it's deserved. We're going to get back to the Brown story, which uh, is is a really pressing topic in the NFL. But we did ask you an even more pressing question, which was in honor of the NHL offering up naming rights to their divisions for this season only as of now, uh, presumably to make up some of the money lost due to pandemic-related changes, uh, and naming them things that are just not fun. The Scotia North, Honda West, Discover Central, and Mass Mutual East. Uh, I said I'd prefer the the Molson North or the Labatt's Blue West. And we asked you guys your suggestions. We got some good ones. Uh, at P. Sitcher said, what about the Kanye West? Um, I love that on, answer. That on is the amazing. Same, on the same track as Adam Jacobu said, Kanye angrily crossing Honda West off the list of future baby names. Uh, now that it has been <laughs> officially made a division. Also, I think uh, according to reports, uh, they're getting divorced. So if, if he has another baby, it probably won't be with Kim. And they might have to actually name it uh, a baby name. If uh, it, Adam, hey, if, if Kim and, and Kanye can't make it, then I give can? up on love. Who can? Honestly. <laughs> Uh, at Rocket Cheddar, which is a great name, by the way, uh, on the Twitters. Uh, not the NHL, but we can all agree the Waste Management NFC East. And that is a good crossover, ambitious crossover event, but I appreciate you still finding a way to dog, uh, dog the NFC East. Um, at Denim, John wrote, Movies, Slapshot North, Miracle East, Mystery Alaska West, and The Mighty Ducks Central. Not bad. Oh, the Mighty Ducks Central is pretty good. The I mean. Like there would there would be such a fight too, you know. You think about the divisions, and and I said earlier, make it named somewhat in some way about the region itself. But just thinking about the infighting within that region, oh, yeah. of which well, because that's where the biggest it. rivalries are, right? You know, you have an area where you've got like Michigan and Wisconsin and, and Chicago, Illinois, all arguing with uh, whose dominant culture wins. I mean, it can't be the cheese curd central. That's that's completely unfair, right? <laughs> And it's certainly not going to be the Chicago Pizza Central, is it? It's certainly not going to be the Deep Dish Central. Not if Detroit has anything to say about it. (laughs) Right. Oh, Detroit Uh, (laughs) Pizza people will be, all three of them will be so angry. So angry. Um, Captain Observer said, the Swiss Chalet West, Tim Hortons North, Poutine East, and La Fin du Monde Central. Uh, Not bad. We got some poutine. We got some beer. We got uh, some coffee in there. And then finally, uh, Red Panda One. Let's just totally confuse people with the directions. The East-West Bank Central Division, the Southwest <laughs> Airlines North Division, the Northwestern Mutual East Division, and the Central Bank West Division. Love it. 
absolutely no, love no, no, it. no. We do not. As somebody that can barely read on radio, <laughs> if you give me that combination, I am blanked. And we all know that I am blanked at that point. There is zero shot that I'm getting through that anywhere near remotely professionally. So, no, oh. we can't do that. Well, that's the thing about this is it's not going to affect anyone, really. It's it's just going to be annoying every once in a while when you hear the announcer be contractually obligated to say who's leading the mass mus- mass mutual East, right? I mean, other than that, the NHL, if you got to make your money, make your money. Um, I mean, doesn't but- it? But do you think to that end, Sarah, that it could take off for other leagues? I mean, if you're looking at it for the NFL, do you think about monetizing? You know, the Raiders are the champions of the AFC, you know, insert sponsor name here, West? Like, I don't know that the NFL would need to do it because they are financially in a good spot, um, but I could see it happening in other places. I mean, it's it's very similar to the jersey rights, right? People get really frustrated with that, and then you kind of just get used to it in things like soccer. Um, right. Get used to it so far in the NBA that they're little. I will say that as far as like jerseys that I want to buy and wear, if they start to have a big sponsor across the top, soccer's the only one where it doesn't feel super weird. And even then, you're kind of like, eh, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to rock it when it says like. Quaker Oats on it, you know? <laughs> Unless Quaker Oats, by the way, we love no Quaker Oats on Quaker Spain Oats. and Fitz, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we're, we love we're Quaker Oats fans, but... <laughs> um, okay, speaking of the NFL, which you mentioned, they do not have a problem bringing in the cash, and they probably don't have to go to sponsored divisions, but they do have a problem with COVID right now, and it's, of course, affecting the team that already has one of the unluckiest uh, recent stretches of any team in any sport, the Cleveland Browns, who finally have this magic moment of making the postseason for the first time in 18 years and now look like they'll be without their head coach, a couple other assistant coaches, and a couple players. Max Kellerman, uh, on his own show today, talked about how the situation affects them and their opponent. It keeps on winding up our problem. But worse is if they don't move the game, does Cleveland, like, let's, how many players are they going to wind up missing? Could you imagine if you're a Cleveland Browns fan right now? Just a fan of the team. Do you know what this franchise has been through? Yeah, as you said, it winds up being our problem. That's speaking from the perspective of the Steelers, who have somehow gotten roped into nearly everybody else's COVID problems this year. Um, But I think, again, you cannot change the rules most of the way in and say, well, now because it's a head coach or now because of this, um, you're, you're all of a sudden going to gonna push it back. It has to be an uncontrolled spread, and we won't know about that for another couple of days. Uncontrolled spread is one of the smartest things that you've said repeatedly that people need to remember is the difference here. Once they can figure out where the spread's coming from, how it's contained, and what the level of risk is, that that's what really decides whether or not games are going to be played. And so, you know, as much as they need to figure out how this is controlled for the Browns, if I'm the Steelers, I am looking at it and saying, wait a minute, we don't want like we don't want to be at risk, number one, because God forbid what happens here is the Browns play and they've got a, an outbreak that isn't controlled and then they give it to the Steelers and this is a trickle-down effect. But the other side of it is for Pittsburgh, you don't want this game delayed because how will that impact whatever you need to do to get ready for the next round should you win? I mean, you're suddenly going to be putting people on a shorter week than anticipated going into the next round of the playoffs. That That is something, if I'm, if I'm Pittsburgh, I'm incredibly concerned with. So Pittsburgh should be concerned about the spread and also about the scheduling of it. It's sort of a lose-lose situation. Well, worth noting, too, that who was the last team that they played? <laughs> the Steelers. So if there's oh, any right. concern about spread from... You know, fortunately, we have not seen a lot of spread game to game. It's outdoors. There isn't a lot of sustained face to face contact. Um, 
other than the the you know offensive line and defensive line. But thankfully, there have not been spreads during games. Um, but something to keep an eye on, of course, as we just saw these two teams face off. But Fitz, I think I'm just mostly sad for Stefanski, right? What a huge role he's played in that team's success. Between him and Baker Mayfield, they came in with this massive expectation. And for him not to be available uh, must be beyond frustrating. But as I pointed out earlier when we talked to Emmett Golden out in Cleveland, this has been a problem for the last month or so for the Browns. And I don't know who you need to talk to there to get people to be more careful, but there are teams in the NFL that have had almost no issues with COVID spread, who have handled themselves in a way that has limited the effects it has had on on their team. And for whatever reason, the Browns are not one of them. Well, and, you know, when you talk about Stefanski and the year he's had as a head coach, I think one of the most impressive things is that he never became enamored with any one thing. And what I mean by that is if you look at Zach Taylor, for example, the Bengals coach, it felt like early on in the year he was just enamored with Joe Burrow can throw the ball. So I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it. And that's just no matter what, that's how we're going to approach this offense. And at times it seemed like he became too obsessed with this shiny new toy, right? Stefanski came in with sort of a mindset that he was going to let this situation play out in a way that he figured out what's best for the team. And uh, instead of being obsessed with Baker Mayfield, like so many of us are, he came in and became obsessed with whatever was going to help them win. The way the Browns win is by actually minimizing the impact of Baker Mayfield and by running the ball like maniacs with two uh, running backs that would uh, individually uh, be great enough to be high-level epic starters for any team. They managed to He's managed to figure out a way to get them to share the load, and he's also managed to look at it and say, I don't care what the, the preconceived notions would be about my wide receivers and my quarterback. I'm going to do what I think helps us win, which is run the ball. I mean, that takes a level of sort of self-control for a first-time coach that I think is undersold a little bit. So Stefanski's had a brilliant first year as a coach. And so for him not to be out there, it does make a big difference because what will it mean for their play calling? How will everybody else handle it? And can everybody else be as good in those situations at relying on what they know the strength is, which is running the ball? Yeah, and, you know, we sort of forget because of everything else we're trying to wrap our brains around this season about Odell Beckham Jr. and what a big role we thought he was going to be in this. And if you can remember way back to when Spain and Fitz came back to the air, Fitz, people were sort of quietly saying, oh, I wonder if they might look better without him. And they kind of have, right? And that's not to say it's because he's not incredibly talented, but for whatever reason, it changed the way that offense was functioning, it maybe just changed the way Baker Mayfield was focusing on his on his receivers and his and his running backs and and how he's going to set up plays. Um, but they've they've dealt with a lot of ups and downs for a team that might have folded in previous years at the, at, at the slightest wind, and instead they're in it. But now another massive gust coming their way if Kevin Stefanski and these assistants and several players are unavailable. Closed down their facility five of the last ten days. And we'll be six tomorrow, as the expectation is it's closed tomorrow as well. Doesn't make it easy to prepare for the playoffs. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming up, one team is closing in on a new GM. We'll tell you who it is next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ah, Honda West, my favorite artist. Spain and Fitz, (laughs) Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We've got some news at the NFL, not just the news about the Browns, of course. We've got news on the Texans' front, as it appears they have landed upon a new GM. This is a team, of course, that's sort of been 
a bit a mess ever since they decided to part ways. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. Take that back. They were a mess when Bill O'Brien was there as well <laughs> for, for very right. different reasons, but sort of rudderless ever since they elected to to dispose of their relationship with Bill O'Brien. And now it sounds like they are zeroing in on Nick Casario as the new GM. Uh, listen to the sound from Deshaun Watson and, and what he has to say about a lot of, uh, I guess, cooks in the kitchen with the Texans. We just need a whole culture shift. We just need new energy. We just need discipline. We need um, structure. Uh, we need a leader so we can follow that leader as, as players. And that's what we need. And we got to have the love of just not just the game of football because that's what we do, but the love for people and the people in this organization. We all got to be on the same page. There's too many different minds um, and too many different ideas and too many people thinking that they have – this power and, and it's not like that. You know, we need someone that stand tall and this is who we follow and this is the way it go. Like I said yesterday after the game and, and we're going to do it this way to win. Yeah. And you can't help when he says there's too many people thinking that they're in charge kind of vibe. Uh, you can't help but think of that Jenny Vrentis, Greg Bishop story in SI a couple of weeks ago that we had a guest on to talk about um, Jack Easterby, uh, you know, former team chaplain who somehow has risen to the top at the Texans and some believe him to have a sort of relentless and uh, malicious, at times, ambition, a selfishness about him, creating an atmosphere of distrust. And unfortunately, according to uh, others in the league, it sounds like this new GM has a long, uh, multi-year relationship with Easterby, uh, which I don't know that I would be a fan of based on some of the stories you've seen written about Easterby. Yeah, it looks like they worked together for six years in New England before the Texans hired him away. So, uh, And uh, keep in mind, Casario is somebody that the Texans did try to hire before the, the uh, Patriots, were they, they filed tampering charges or threatened to file tampering charges. So uh, th- there's a little bit of a weird history here. The one thing about Deshaun's comments that really hit me, Sarah, and maybe this is minutia that only I care about, but everything was in the present tense. So for anybody that thinks that Bill O'Brien was the only issue, mm-hmm. he didn't say it, that people thought they had power or people thought they were in, in control. Everything was present tense. And so when he's talking about what they need right now and the way people are acting, to me that's also saying that the issue is still happening within the, the halls because uh, that's, a, that's a major difference. Bill O'Brien gone didn't lift that cloud uh, uh, over Houston. So now you've got your franchise quarterback. A guy that I again I'll say loudly I think it belongs in the conversation of uh, Mahomesy and good if that's a word I'll make it one uh, Deshaun Watson <laughs> is in that Mahomes category uh, he's that level of great and they're wasting it so uh, for him to speak out so loudly about what needs to happen in culture this is the sort of moment that the Texans have to listen to that and they have to come in to him and say what do we need to make you comfortable because if you have your quarterback on the right page you got 15 years of greatness ahead of you so figure out what's going to make Deshaun happy and give that to him in a way that the organization can get what they need. Yeah, he's only 25. Every year that you are not contending with a quarterback like Deshaun Watson is uh, a massive failure for a team, especially when you look around, and I can speak to it as well as anybody here in Chicago, uh, what a disappointment it is year after year to not have a true franchise quarterback. Well, it's also a disappointment to have one and have your team finish 4-12. and Um It was a disastrous season for them, and there's actually uh, NFL Films posted a video of Watt and Watson walking off the field after that last game, and Watt says flat out, I'm sorry. We wasted a year of yours. I'm sorry. 
And it's not on Watt to say that. He's given his all, and we've seen him give pretty impassioned speeches about showing up every week and giving your best. But no matter who you can point fingers at, the result is that they wasted a guy who is spectacular this year and who has been spectacular since he came into the league. And if they don't quickly figure out how to surround him with the right talent, how to get the right coach and get that leadership and structure that he's asking for, they're going to look back years from now and say, how did we manage to win nothing with that guy? And he is so easy to root for, Fitz. I think both he and J.J. Watt, and you know, it'll be interesting to see what that team looks like in the next couple of years. But uh, if you if you don't find a way pretty quickly to start actually capitalizing on on what you have there, to be a real, real missed opportunity that's going to be hard to recover from, especially for the fans watching. Well, and you also got to think that whoever they're bringing in as a GM at this point, part of what they interviewed with was their concept of who they want to bring in as a coach. Just like a coach comes in mm. with their assistant coaches sort of in, the, in mind. So for Casario to get this job right now for Houston, to me, it tells me that he, he went into the Texans saying, here's who I think will lead the franchise. Here's how I think we should lead it. So I'd be surprised if there isn't news sooner than later on where they're going to go in their coaching direction. But this is a statement for whatever the, the organization has done in power structure. They bring this person in. Uh, they're making the conscious decision that they're going to let him trickle down into the coach and that that's going to be the reset of their organization. That's a lot on a team that has no money to spend and no no picks. I, I told you yesterday, I still think it's such a great job because I love Deshaun Watson that much, but it is a challenging job challenging. right now. So Absolutely, especially if you're worried full. at all. Especially if you're worried at all about the power now. Um, if you take on that coaching gig, you worry about that, uh, that GM... Easterby connection and what that means for the amount of decision-making power you're going to have when they're when they're up there working together. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Other NFL news today. I'm going to read off this list of names to you, Fitz. This is the uh, 2021 Hall of Fame finalists. Peyton Manning, Calvin Johnson, Torrey Holt, Reggie Wayne, Leroy Butler, John Lynch, Rondé Barber, Charles Woodson, Jared Allen, Richard Seymour, Clay Matthews, Sam Mills, Zach Thomas, Alan Fanica, and Tony Baselli. That is a quite a list. <laughs> it's quite some absolute obvious sure things in there at the top, especially. So does this mean I'm getting old, Sarah? Because like when I was a kid and people talked about like <laughs> Do you want the me to Hall of Fame honestly, nominees, and yeah, I mean everybody was like, "Oh, how can you pick?" And I'm like, "I, I don't know. Like it, this seems pretty easy to me." Now you list mm. off that that grouping of names, and I'm like, I can't imagine being in the room and trying to figure out who you're leaving off and who's not immediately making it in. I mean, mm. uh, these lists get tougher and tougher, uh, and especially given the way the numbers have changed in the NFL too. But, you know, you start thinking about the stats that these guys have put up, but also the importance they had to the generation and era that they played in. Maybe it's because I'm old enough now to have remembered so much of what they did for the league, but it just seems like an impossible task to sit in there and it narrow really that does. list down. And I don't want to bring the mood down, but it does remind me, to your point, of you know, when you're younger, you're sort of like, ah, I don't know that guy. Or, I, I don't remember him. Now you know all the names and you know how they play and you've watched them. It's sort of like you start to feel as you get older, man, so many more people are dying. And that's not the case. It's just you're old. <laughs> so you know all the people that are also old who are, you know, um, and so I, I agree with you, though. There's certainly uh, a, a bunch of deserving players in there. Some of them first timers that feel like, you know, for instance, obviously Peyton Manning. I don't think anyone's going to wait on that one. Um, and it, it does make the job a little bit more difficult when you've actually seen them play and seem to know enough about it. Uh, thanks for hanging with us tonight. We had a weird show fits, uh, but we made it through. 
we got you out to the Heisman news, uh, covered the Brown stuff, and uh, I think uh, we can expect Devontae Smith to be calling any second now, right? Oh, shoot, the no. show's over. <laughs> show is, uh, that's too bad. What a oh, shame. Oh, if Freddie and Fitzsimmons get him, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> Maybe he'll come to the after party. You can, I don't know. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. 